Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the second episode of the Shea Station podcast brought to you by John Boy Media. I'm one of your co-hosts, Jolly Olive. You might know me as Jack. And sitting with me is some guy named Jerry Blevins. Jerry, how are you feeling after a three-game set with the Washington Nationals? You know, guys needed to step up, and they did. So I'm excited. This will be a fun addition to Shea Station. Yeah, we, we got a lot of comments uh, about how positive we were in spite of of a pretty disastrous weekend. Uh, but our positive comments and Pete's positive comments, which we talked about and we'll talk about again, are actually looking pretty good right now headed into this Dodgers series. Positivity uh, rubbed off a little bit. And so we actually have something to be positive about. Uh, and that's exciting. You know, we they needed these games and they played well and, and put it together a little bit. So it's, it's a nice momentum builder moving forward. So I'm excited to talk about it. Lots of really good, encouraging moments from the series. Lots of Mets moments from the series, specifically in the last game, which we're definitely going to expand on. Um, but I just wanted to take your temperature about how you're feeling about the team headed into this Dodgers series. We're going to give probables later on and do a more in-depth discussion, but I wanted to get the mood of a positive Mets fan. Is it overly positive? Is it you're sort of in the same headspace where you're sort of being cautious about everything step by step? Like I wanted to gauge your feeling there. Well, I guess I'll give my input from like what that clubhouse could be like. And a lot of it is after this series, after sweeping the Nats, you get a, just a little bit of a breather. You're like, all right, so it isn't panic. We actually can hit. They did a great job putting the ball in play in this series. The bullpen did what the bullpen does. The starters did really well. And you move forward. They, they, they can build off of that. There's no like must win. Now they just have to play baseball. And so I think it wasn't, it's not like we're the greatest players ever, but it's like, okay, we, we can still play baseball. Let's move forward and, and finish this home standout uh, in this rough stretch and, and play some really good baseball. I kind of feel the same way. Like you don't want to take it too much. Like, oh, all right, World Series back on. We're going. Like it's it. But, you know, taking, th th taking three games and having the bats reawaken in that way, uh, definitely encouraging. It's a good, the way I look at it and the way I'm encouraged by it is momentum. Not even the great performance or anything, but you're just building momentum into a very hard set of series. And we're going to talk about what comes after that series too, because that's just as interesting. But for now, let's stay in the present. Let's talk about what happened the past three days, because these games, you know, it took a lot for the Mets to just get through them in the first place because of the weather. So uh, game one was originally slated uh, for Tuesday. Uh, we got to play about uh, an, inning, an inning and a half, uh, and then, you know, Juan Soto crushed the dreams of pretty much Mets fans everywhere, giving the Nats an early 3-0 lead. They were ahead 4-1 to one in this game before it got called. Uh, they resumed this on Wednesday as part of a doubleheader that also didn't happen. We'll get to that in a second. Uh, Rich Hill, uh, which I, I, I kind of appreciated this in, uh, in retrospect, even though the performance wasn't great. Rich Hill really stepped up and said, give me the ball. I want to help the team today. I want to start. I want to eat some innings for us. Um, it didn't go according to plan. He, he went three innings, allowed three in runs. Him and Cookie combined for four innings pitched, seven earned runs. So from your two starters there, it's not ideal. And this wasn't looking like a game that the Mets were going to win. I didn't really think that they were in competition to be doing that. Uh, but it once again, and we're going to say this pretty much every episode, like I said last time, it was the bullpen that really bailed us out. Jerry's Familia, Miguel Castro, Trevor May, Drew Smith, Edwin Diaz, five inning pitched, 
zero earned runs, two hits, no walks, three Ks. So the bullpen came up big in holding the Nationals where they were, allowing the Mets to come back in. But if you had told me after that Philly series that the Mets would come back into City Field and put up eight runs, I would not have believed you. But that's exactly what happened. They matched 13 hits, which was their entire total from the Philly series, which was hugely uh, encouraging. Alonzo and Davis, who struggled mightily, especially in the last game, they both pick up two doubles and an RBI each. The Mets complete a very impressive comeback win, 8-7. to seven, And that momentum sort of steadied into the next day, even though it was supposed to be later that day. Which, were the ne- uh, which the next game was supposed to be played, that got postponed again into Thursday. So what happened then? Uh, they wanted to really build off of, you know, that, that stellar performance. And in game two, it was Marcus Stroman looked to continue his success on the mound. He faced Sean Nolan, Long Island's own Seaford uh, uh, guy. I think that's where he's from. Yeah, it's a name I haven't heard in a while. I think he was in the Donaldson trade, if I'm not mistaken. Donaldson trade from Toronto to Oakland. Um, yeah, so he's he's a he's a Long Island guy. Played a little bit in Japan. It was like six years between his you know Major League Baseball appearances, and the Mets didn't you know give him a warm welcome, which we'll talk about. So in the beginning was this one, the first game of uh, two seven innings. The the second inning, um, Jonathan VR leads off with a single, and then with two outs, Marcus Stroman lays down this beautiful bunt. To continue the inning, mm. it was beautiful. Really put it down. We had a couple good bunts this weekend. He continues the inning, yeah, and then Brandon Nimmo does what Brandon Nimmo does. He works a three-two count, and he deposited a three-two kind of a hanging slider into the right field stands, and the Mets jump up three nothing, and they never looked back. Um, he ended up recording all four RBI in the four-one victory. Um, every single starter in the lineup, minus Pete Alonso, who reached on a hit by pitch, recorded hits. You had multiple hits from uh, Nimmo, Dom, J.D. Davis, and Michael Conforto, and Conforto looked good. He also ripped one that, that got caught in center field to lead off that his first at-bat. Um, but to me, you got to give a shout-out to Tomas Nito, who in that second inning, he threw a guy out from his knees to end that inning. He also recorded his first career stolen base. So yeah, good for him. Yeah, right? Yeah, that got a little bit overshadowed uh, from a catcher who's not known for his wheels to get that stolen base. Uh, that was awesome. Good for him. But that was uh, Diaz came back, knocked it down, locked down that ninth inning for his save. Um, the one he got the night before would prove a little bit uh, too much for the second game of the doubleheader, which you know led to a little bit of, of fireworks going into the game, but. They needed that first one to get a sweep. Uh, it's hard to win both the, both the front and back of a doubleheader, and they got the first one. That was a big one. Marcus Stroman continued his uh, starts with two earned runs or less. That you you threw this gem at me. He most starts in major leagues with two runs or less. Uh, he is right behind Kevin Gosman, who's sitting first with 19, and he slotted in at 18. 18 starts with two runs or less. You can't really overemphasize how impressive that is. Really, yeah. And he looked good today. He overcame, or he looked good yesterday. He overcame some real, like, high heat index. Um, very positive, man. The, the guy can pitch, and it's it's fun to watch him. I'm happy he's in uh, the blue and orange. Yeah, those 18 starts with two runs or less, that puts him right on par with Trevor Rogers from Miami, Freddie Peralta, who's having an awesome year for the Brewers, and then, of course, Walker Bueller, who the Mets are going to see in a couple days. Uh, I wanted to add... Uh, the Tomas Nino stolen base, I feel like maybe Pete's uh, recent 
random uh, base running resurgence has rubbed, up, rubbed off on him. Pete had a stolen base in Philly, then he stole another one. And both times there was no throw, which I thought was awesome. So he's completely catching people off guard. I thought that was so cool. I, I, I did want to highlight Luke doing very Loopian things. He came in uh, yes. with... Of course. Yeah, he came in with, with two runners on, uh, and he faced Soto. Gave him a lot of pitches. Uh, he ended up walking him, which is smart. He, he pitched intelligently, and then with the bases loaded, he got the two big outs. Didn't allow any runs in. A very a very Aaron Loop outing. Uh, a beautiful piece, and it was uh, could have been disaster, but he, he locked it down, man. It's just a wonderful game, top to bottom, hitting defense, base running, pitching. Everything was nice. It was uh, big to get that first win of the doubleheader. Yeah, and you said uh, that he pitched very smartly by uh, walking one. So is there any, uh, there might be a little bias there? Because I, I feel like I remember you saying last time they should have walked him, what was it, like 42 times in this series? Yeah, I think he, I, he should not have gotten a, a good quality pitch to hit with runners in scoring position or runners on base at all. You know, there's the game situation calls for you where you don't want to, you don't want to walk a guy or put a guy on if you're up, right. you know, three runs. But he came up in some big spots, and and they pitched him well. You know, he got that first big home run to yeah. to start the series off, and then we got the rain delay. It could have been a very Mets kind of moment to where that buries you, and then you just feel it bad, feel bad, and it. We overcame, man. We we overcame weather, which we've been doing all season. We overcame yeah. uh, a deficit. We fought back in the game one, buried him in game two, and and what happened in game three. Yeah, so I was going to touch upon Game 3. Um, so things were looking real good in Game 3. It, it was looking like a clean sweep. We were up by the same score, 4-1. to one. Uh, Trevor Williams finally made his Mets debut. He came in the Javier Baez deal, as most of you know. Uh, he was cruising through four. He had the least amount of pitches through three innings of any Mets starter this year, and it was second only to a pitcher on the D-backs, so I'm forgetting the name of. Even Gary Cohen was surprised when he read his name and was like, how do you do that? Uh, but anyway, I'll, I'll get back to that in a little bit. Uh, Williams finished with four and a third innings pitched, uh, three hits, two walks, one earned run, two strikeouts, a solid start. And we're going to expand on what that means for the Mets starting rotation in a little bit. Uh, Alonzo and VR both put up three hits and a home run in this game. VR had a big one in the... Uh, Bottom of the six, and it was a two-run bomb to dead center, an absolute shot. And that put the Mets up 4-1. to We really, we looked like we were sitting pretty. Uh, I really liked the closer rotation of Edwin Diaz and Trevor May, and Trevor May got this game. But May, I think it might have just been the heat, or maybe, you know, he's had one too many good outings in a row because it just didn't really look like he was commanding his stuff all that well. It looked like he had a good gauge on his fastball, but all of his breaking pitches really weren't landing in the places he wanted them to go. And this came after one and two-thirds innings of scoreless relief from Seth Lugo. He looked great. He got out of a jam when he first came in. Um, but main Familia, they let the Nats back in on a couple hits. Uh, McNeil had a ball right under his glove that could have ended the game. Instead, it was a single that brought in two runs to tie the game at four, and it was complete devastation on Twitter, at the stadium, pretty much for every Met fan everywhere. It looked like this sweep was locked down, and it was it was sort of just pulled out from underneath us. Uh, and it was very, you know, reminiscent of these, you know, LOL Mets, these uh, bad Mets teams that suffer bad losses. Um, but thankfully, and I'm glad it was this guy that did it, but Pete Alonzo comes up big in the bottom of the seventh off Kyle Finnegan, a walk-off solo blast that just snuck over the left field wall. I was worried that SNY was playing me again by shooting the camera up high into the sky and going, oh, there it goes, and it's just a fly out to the warning track. That's been happening a me lot too. this season. I was a little bit worried. 
But thankfully, that one got out. It's a walk-off bomb. The Mets win game three, five to four. They complete the sweep. And for once, the narrative is the bats bail out the bullpen, which I thought was really cool. It's really nice to see. Like, it's not cool to see the bullpen blow a lead, obviously, but they've been so good. Yep. And it's nice to see them picked up instead of picking up the offense. You know what I mean? That's a that's a huge key there, Jolly. They've been doing it. The bullpen has been locking it down the whole season. They've been picking picking up the starters, picking up the offense, just keeping games in. It's nice to have kind of a little bit of a blow up, and then the offense pick you up. It's wonderful. If you're going to have a bad outing, it happens. You're you. It's nice to be bailed out. Um, yeah. And it's I'm glad it was Pete in that situation. I'm glad it happened quickly. That way we didn't have to to suffer through extra innings. Yeah. You know, we it just happened. It was it was like that low and then a high. So thank you, thank you, Polar Bear, for for bringing that down. Quick little sidebar. I wanted to gauge you on this because that was a long day of baseball. Yeah. That was a long day in the heat of baseball. Uh, six hours to play, especially with that last inning, uh, giving everyone a heart attack and then sending everybody home. Did this alter your perspective at all on double headers? Like, I want to know if you're a nine-inning guy, if you're a seven-inning guy, because that, you know, all things considered with the shortened game, that was still a pretty decently long day of baseball between the Mets and Nats. I'm a traditionalist in the sense that I don't think baseball should be played any less than nine innings in the big leagues. You know, it's hard. It is. It's, it was hot. It's a lot going on, but there's, there's, you change the entire narrative of the game when you shorten it up to seven innings, you change the flow, who comes in, you know, it's just, I just don't, I don't like it. I, I think it's, you can go from your starter to your closer from the fifth. Like I just, I don't, I, it just, it just feels gross to me. I don't know why exactly, okay. but I think, I think moving forward, I hope they go back to the traditional nine inning games. It's the big leagues. If you, if it's too short for you to give Madison Bumgarner uh, a no hitter, when he throws a complete game without any hits and you, you're like, ah, it doesn't count. Cause it's only seven innings. It shouldn't count as an actual game. If you're, if you're not going to play both ways. So it just feels weird. Oh, it feels very like very summer ballish, you know, college, high school, summer ball. So yeah, I don't like it. I can definitely respect that coming from a, a fir- like from a former player. Cause you know, you did nine inning double headers, you know what I mean? You were in the trenches there. So I get that. I, per- I personally, I'm a seven inning double header guy. I think it's better for viewership experience, whatever, what have you. I think this is like the first time we've ever disagreed on the pod. So it had to happen eventually. That's all right. You know, I'm for it for the sense that it's easier for the players and for the, the, the traveling team, especially teams that have to go, but it's, it's base. It's still, you got to still got to play the game of baseball. So it's okay. I won't um, put you in a headlock or anything since we disagreed. Oh, I appreciate it, man. Because I probably still, could. I still like you. We're allowed to have we're allowed to have differences of opinion. I prefer it. Yeah, and I'm also a little biased. A little biased because the Mets uh, they split nine doubleheaders this year, but now they've also swept three. This was their first doubleheader sweep uh, since May. Is that twelve doubleheaders? Twelve <laughs> doubleheaders this year. Yeah, I mean, thank goodness it's only seven in occasion. So I don't know. Ridiculous. It's hard to sweep a doubleheader. They've done it three times. Build a roof, Steve. Yeah, three times, so, which is pretty impressive. They did it against the Rockies, uh, I believe the Braves, and now the Nationals. So good on them. Good on the Mets. This was a big one to pick up. I was fully expecting a split because that's just how the Mets have been rolling in their doubleheaders, but this enabled them to sort of test the waters with Trevor Williams, uh, which was good, and then give the bullpen a little bit of ease, but still, you know, they burned a lot of their top guys heading into, heading into game one of this Dodgers series. So that's definitely going to be something interesting uh, to keep an eye on. We'll, t- we'll talk about that in a little bit. I wanted to talk about the bats because yeah. the bats are here. They're alive. Uh, some of them that I thought were injured are not. 
Um, so I wanted to go down the list because we don't have just one key performance here. We have like four, uh, and that's a bit of an anomaly for us. But I got to highlight J.D. Davis, especially because I talked on the last pod about how I thought that he was injured and maybe needed to be IL'd, and then he shut me up, like completely shut me up. He looked really good. Hit the ball well. He works some great at-bats. Yeah, even if he didn't have these great numbers from the series, all of his at-bats, he looked confident. He looked like he was pulling the ball pretty well. He was also hitting to the opposite field. His double in game three was oppo, which was nice. Uh, he went five for nine, three doubles, two ribbies, one walk, one K. And that was after going uh, 0 for 8 in the last series uh, that came right before. So maybe that hand isn't bothering him as much as I thought it was. It really looked uncomfortable in the Philly series. I think it was just simply, you know, it's hard. You know, he hasn't, he's missed so much time because of injuries that, you know, you, you have to have good timing. You have to be in sequence. And maybe it was just reps. So it was good to see him locked in. Yeah. He put some good at bats. He did punch out with the bases loaded, but he took a tough. He looked like he just missed the ball. So he, I'm, I'm happy we need his offense and he, he really provided a spark. Yeah, we definitely do need his offense. His defense also didn't look half bad at all. He made a couple nice plays on a couple of hot shots to third, so that was good. Uh, also, waking up with the bat. Absolute can. Yeah, he does have an arm. I kind of forget sometimes because I know his defense gets a little bit of slack. Me but too. he does have a cannon over there, so good for him. They can make up for a little bit of the bobbles. Also picking up the slack in this series was Michael Conforto. That was really nice to see. Conforto's actually having a, a quietly very good month of August. He's now batting 321 with a 927 OPS in August. All good things. He has uh, three doubles, one homer, and six walks in the month. So he's been striking the ball well. We've seen him go oppo more and more. It seems like every series he's really been driving the ball. I feel like he had a couple that were just hot shots off the wall that probably could have been homers in a lot of other parks, but still... He goes 5 for 10, gets a double, two RBIs. He came up big in a couple spots, especially in game one with those two RBIs. So this was really nice to see him contributing as well. He means so much to this team and this organization. He looks better at the plate. You said he's hitting, what, 321 in the month of August? Yeah. He looks like he's hitting that too. He looks more comfortable. He looks like he's relaxed in there. He doesn't look like he's pressing. And this is something that, his experiences has allowed him because he's he's had a, a pretty, I guess, streaky career in a sense that he's been up, he's been down, he's he's been hot, he's been cold. Right. This has just kind of been a long time uh, being cold. And so it's nice to see him just, I hate to use the, the term trust the process, but trust that his life, <laughs> his worth, all the work that he's put in his whole life is still trending forward. And so I, I love the human being. Michael's a good friend of mine, and to see him start to kind of come back into form, it's huge. And and you can see the rest of the lineup kind of take a collective breath because they need him. He's he's one of the best players in the league, and when he's he's playing up, it allows guys in the lineup to to not feel that pressure and to also they're going to get better pitches to hit because yeah. teams are going to start targeting him and Alonso, making sure that they don't beat him. And so I think it I think it really pushes that entire lineup up a notch when he's hitting. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a big thing with lineup protection. You know, you want to give good at-bats to everybody else. You want to make sure everyone's fulfilling their role in the lineup. And when Conforto and Alonzo and Davis, they all start to hit, you know, it changes the dynamic. It, will, it was also just really nice to see the Mets having fun. I really liked just watching that walk-off celebration but with Michael, you know, flipping his helmet in the air, smiling, and Pete, you know, getting his jersey ripped off. It, I hadn't seen the Mets have fun like that in a little over a week, but it seemed like way longer. So that was a, a breath of fresh air for them. 
uh, a perfect way to end that series. I also wanted to touch uh, pretty quick on Jonathan VR. He also had a pretty good series. Uh, uh, lots of singles. He was four, uh, four for eight before that big home run uh, in game three that gave the Mets a four to one lead. And I just wanted to say, you know, I saw a lot of discourse on Twitter because, you know, we're, we're very active on Twitter, me and you, especially this past weekend. Shout out to all the people. The underscore Olive yeah. at Jerry Blevins. Let's give it a shout out. A little quick plug. No shame. Quick plug. That's all. Yeah. Uh, just can't forget the underscores. But, you know, we saw a lot of discourse about, like, you know, oh, well, the Mets hit a lot of the series, but they were also playing the Nationals. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't really count. And, you know, I think that's kind of bullshit. I'm just going to put it blankly. Because, you know, the entire narrative, and we talked about this last time, was the Mets don't beat up on bad teams. And we saw that in Miami, and it was horrible. It was gut-wrenching. So the alternative to that is you don't beat up on bad teams, you stink, or you do beat up on bad teams, and it doesn't count. But I, I talked a little bit earlier about momentum and how important that is, especially when you're going to face the National League titan of the past eight years who look like they're at their full strength. So if you don't get that walk-off win and you don't get 13 hits in game one and you, the, the bats don't wake up, what are you going to do against Julio Urias, uh, Walker Bueller, and Max Scherzer? You know, you need this kind of series to get excited about, to feel like, hey, maybe we do have a shot against this team that's very talented. So many names. VR has been so solid. He just puts together such pro at-bats, yeah. goes the other way, hits for power, hits in the first inning, hits in the ninth inning. He's just a presence in that, you know, he, he reminds me a little bit, like, maybe not as dynamic, but like Kike Hernandez. Like, Kike Hernandez, when he was with the Dodgers and now he's with the Red Sox, he would just be like, he's hitting first or second in the lineup, then he's hitting seventh or eighth. He's just a, a, a professional hitter that never gives up an AB, and that that's infectious. He can hit anywhere in the lineup, and he's going to be productive. And and when they're facing VR and Conforto and J.D. Davis and Alonzo are hitting for power, they're going to challenge him, and he he doesn't miss many fastballs. And so he's going to get pitches to hit, and he, as long as he continues to make contact, he, I've been so impressed with him. Right. Um, he's really taken the pressure off of, of Lindor to hurry back right. off Baez to, you know, to, to allow him to sit and work through whatever lower back hip issue that he's going through. VR has been, been beyond replacement level. He's just been doing great and playing solid defense. Just a, just a good player. I'm glad you highlighted him. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, you know how tough it is to, you know, have your position constantly switched. Like, I don't think mm-hmm. VR would expect that he was going to be playing shortstop in August for the Mets. He's been bouncing between second and third. And they've kind of just, you know, fulfilled the role that, you know, the Mets have needed him to fulfill. And, like, I don't think they paid him to be the guy that, you know, plays everywhere and also plays every day. You know what I mean? But he's, you know, he's really fit the bill and fulfilled the ask in a, in a really great way. So I'm hoping that, you know, they, they entertain the possibility of bringing him back next year because I definitely think he's earned his keep. Uh, at this point, he's second in the Mets on home runs, which is uh, I didn't have that before the season. I don't know if you did, but I definitely didn't. Yeah, I hope to be honest, I hope he doesn't finish second. Yeah, because that means that that our big boppers didn't do much. But I think he's just like I said, he's just been such a pro, such a such an integral part of this rough stretch. He's he's going to benefit from these other guys stepping up, too. So happy to see him. Absolutely. Uh, and there was one name that I left out because I wanted to leave that to you because he uh, was the center of attention headed into this series for the Mets, uh, especially with our, our other top two guys injured and some of the comments that he made, but he had a big series. Pete Alonso in this series went six for 12, three doubles, uh, one that just hit the top of the wall and bounced in. He had that one home run, the big walk-off, two RBI, and for me, a big a big signal for what he's doing at the plate. He only punched out twice in the whole series. Heading into this series, he was 0 for 19, 
And then he gave the fans something to talk about when he said, you know, just smile, you get to watch baseball. Um, but he really, he, he backed it up. Like, this is what Pete does. He's honest. He wears his heart on his sleeve. He told the fans to just smile, and he gave them something to smile about. He capped off that the sweep of a series, sweep of a doubleheader, with a comeback walk-off hit, walk-off home run. Beautiful thing. Good to see him moving forward. And again, like, he really is one of the premier power hitters in the game. And the 2020 season kind of threw him for a little bit of a loop because, you know, power hitters, either you're on, you're off. I, I, we, I was worried about him to start the year and to see him kind of come out of it and, and going into the second or into the first half, home run derby, all-star break, a little bit of a down, but he was still hitting the ball. And to come out of it, he handles pressure so well. Uh, he really like he really fits the the New York limelight kind of thing. And, and to see him step up to the plate and hit that walk off was huge. I'm happy for him. So huge. It, it, it was the end to a perfect narrative that it was Pete, uh, you know, hitting the, the bomb there. And like it, it was so deflating to watch that seventh inning come together. And, you know, you're like, there's no way they're going to blow this lead. They have this thing wrapped and then it gets pulled out from underneath you. And the fact that it was Pete uh, who, you know, made some people argued some foolish comments. I would say, you know, honestly, like with the way this, if you told me that he'd perform this well in this series and get a walk off homer to end it, you know, I wouldn't have believed you. But Pete really came up big and backed it up. And I feel like this is just like the natural process of a captain forming. And it really does feel like this. Like even when Lindor comes back and like Lindor has been very good with player chemistry and keeping everyone tight knit, but now it's on Pete and Pete really did it this series. And it sort of just feels like he's becoming the captain of the Mets, which is really cool. You, you said captain a couple of times and I just can't, I can't, I don't like that term in baseball, man. Interesting. Yeah. I haven't, I've never, so first of all, I played with David Wright for the Mets. David Wright is the captain. Like, but there's you don't need a captain in baseball because he's the best player. So David Wright is the best player on the team, best player on the field most of the time. And he's also one of the hardest working guys. And he's the face of the franchise. There's just so much that encapsulated who David Wright was as a player and as a, an organization guy. I don't like to give the term captain to, to anybody. I'm not saying Pete doesn't deserve props for being a leader, but, you know, there, there's there's not many captains out there. You don't hear it about it in baseball because we just don't need it in that sense. We're not, you know. It is a team sport. I get that. Yeah. It's a team sport. You don't need, you know, this isn't college where you have uh, your senior captain is teaching these young freshmen how to play and what it means to be, you know, a Buckeye. Uh you, you, these guys are great, and, and he'll be a leader. They've got a couple of them, but the captain, you know, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to solidify yourself a little bit deeper to be to get a captain moniker, I guess. That does make sense, and you know, you got to remember this is only Pete's third year in the league, yeah. and it's it's really this arc is so interesting to me because we don't know when we're gonna get Lindor and Degrom back. We don't know if we're gonna get them back at all in 2019. We had a, a team with a ton of momentum, and we had rookie Pete, who was the best hitter on the team. And that team didn't make the playoffs. And now it's two years later, and they're in a very similar situation where Pete is the best hitter, Pete is answering the postgame comments, and, you know, they're looking to Pete to sort of lead the charge in the offense. So this could be the beginning of, like, a redemption arc for him, kind of. Whereas it also could be the beginning of a narrative where, you know, maybe Pete can't carry a team to the playoffs. Maybe that's, that doesn't fall on him in that way. 
Um, but I do think that, you know, if, if, if Pete makes the playoffs here, and I, it's so obvious that he wants to be a Met forever. I think he loves it here. I think he loves the fans. I think he loves just being in the blue and orange. And if he makes the playoffs for the first time this year with all this adversity, I think that's definitely a conversation we might entertain in the offseason or something like that. But, you know, only third year. He's got time to develop, that kind of thing. Yeah, again, that's, that's too soon for me. And if there's anybody on this team that you're going to look to be your captain, yeah. it better be – Francisco Lindor for me because he's here for the long haul. He's one of the, you know, statistically, historically one of the best players in the game. He plays a premier spot. He's got the smile to go with it. Um, let him, let him try to take those reins first because, you, like you said, you don't know where Pete's going to be. Just let him be a leader. Don't put that pressure on him. He puts enough pressure on himself. Just let him be. Let him enjoy and, and the game and, and be a leader versus have to. Can you imagine the pressure that if they anointed him captain? Oh, yeah. No, I, I don't need, like, an, an official, like, put the C on his sleeve well, or anything. Well, I mean, know? if we're going to talk about it, captain C's a big deal. Yeah, it is. I mean, who who are the other captains? You have Derek Jeter. I think Freeman is one, right? David Wright. Is Freddie one? I mean, Freedom, Freeman is 100% uh, a captain like, a leader. like that. But they, they don't even talk to him. Yeah. Nobody talks to him. He doesn't wear the C on his jersey. Um. He's just a just a leader. Speaking of Freeman, actually, the City Field showed a great stat yesterday during one of Pete's at bats. During, uh, I mean, from Pete's debut, uh, the only player in baseball with more total bases than Pete Alonso is Freddie Freeman, which I thought was really interesting. So it just goes to show how effective Pete's been and how slept on he can be in it. Super, super impressive. Absolutely, and for me, it goes. It shows you how how underappreciated Freddie Freeman has been yeah. for the last few years. If you look at the my career stats versus him, you know that I don't underappreciate him. It's not pretty. Oh, I'd love to see those matchup stats. That'd be awesome. <laughs> Let's wait until we're off the air. Yeah, yeah, we can talk about that just amongst us. I think that'd be good. And right behind Pete was Nolan Arenado, who is another fantastic player. So it really just goes to show, you know, sometimes Pete maybe doesn't get the credit he deserves, and he's having a great season again. Give me that. Uh, We were talking about faces of the franchise, uh, and, you know, we did acquire uh, a guy that I believe to be the Cubs face of the franchise for a little while, aside from, like, Anthony Rizzo and KB, and that was Javier Baez. Javi did make one plate appearance in this series, which was nice to see. It was a strikeout on three pitches. He got fooled bad by a slider. He didn't look great. He still looked a little bit uncomfortable. It feels weird giving him slump watch because it's just been such a tumultuous start to his Mets career, however long that may be. Uh, but as a Met, he's he's only six for thirty-one. He's got the one extra base hit, was which was the home run in Miami, two walks and twelve strikeouts. And it, it's a little concerning because you know headed into being a Met, he was really hot with the Cubs. His last sixty-four Cubs at bats, he was batting three fifty-nine, three home runs. I'm sorry, four home runs, three doubles, 16 RBIs. So it seemed like he came here, and I think the the air of the offense might have just, you know, infected him in a way because it really was watching him go from really hot to really cold just like that. He did have the one big hit, and I do got to give him credit because that got us a much-needed win in Miami. But, you know, what, what do you make of this? Like, does this affect what the Mets think of him in the offseason? Do you think he comes back, like, soon or later? Like, is he on the tam- timetable with Lindor? I think there's a lot of questions in the air with Javier Baez right now. He's sort of being forgotten in this whole discussion about the Mets. Uh, I don't think it's fair to, to go to slump watch. You know, that's I don't like that that term for him. I think more of it is health. He has to be healthy because any I think any offense you get from him is power-related. He could strike out. 200 times a season, 200 plus times a season, you're going to get it. I mean, he missed that slider outside by. Oh yeah. was not close. It was, a, it was incredible, but that's, that's what he, he's going to do. He's also going to hit huge home runs. 
to me, the biggest thing that we're missing is his defense and, you know, the, some of the magic that he brings to the table. And so he just needs to get healthy. Let him tell him that he's not going to play for a few days. Give him, you know, give him this series off. Don't even pinch hit him. You know, a lower back is, is nothing to mess around with. I've had some issues, you know, from the hip yeah. to my back and, and it's all about rotation. And until he's healthy, just tell him to, to, to take it easy. And so we, we need him to play defense. He, he has, that's part of, yeah. for me, that's the biggest thing that he does. That's what he brings to the table. Um, and that's what we're going to need moving forward. We're having, like, VR has been the guy. Without, if VR wasn't playing as good as he is, yeah. there would be a lot more pressure for Javi Baez to, to, to just tough it out and play, even at, you know, 60, 70, 80%, whatever it is. But VR stepped up. Your JD Davis looks good, so they're going to get that playing time, and so there's no rush for Javi Baez to play savior. And I think that goes to show you how good our team is, how much depth we have, is that we don't have to force him to come back in. So get healthy, Javi. Just take your time, get back, feel, get to 100%, and then help us out. Yeah, I think that's a good perspective there. And it, it, like you said before, that's a big reason why I like the trade in the first place. Because not only are you getting this bat with huge pop, but you, you lost Lindor, which is one of the best shortstop gloves in the game. And you replace him with one of the best shortstop gloves in the game. So that's why I really like that deal. I think the defense kind of went unnoticed there. And, you know, now we're in this nice position. We're in a fortunate position where the, the bats really came through. They seem like they're awake now. We don't have to rush Javi back. Javi came here, I th- and I think that pressure may have gotten to him in addition to whatever nagging injury he's dealing with. Well, you know, he got, he, you, you get traded here, and you're instantly compared to the Cespedes trade. And Cespedes carried this team to the World Series uh, seven years ago. So you're looked at it like that. It's a very different scenario, but you're looked at like, okay, this is the big bat we're bringing in that's going to fix everything. And, like, that's just not how baseball works sometimes. Yeah. So I agree. Javi, you know, rest up. Make sure you're good to go because we'll need you in September, and that's where you can come up big. Uh, those are the games that will be remembered, I think. And and don't don't you don't have to pinch it. That's just my personal opinion because he's not that kind of hitter. Like you, you're going to get those abs where he swings at everything, and a reliever coming in knows that he's dangerous, so they're going to pitch to that, and he wants to hit because he feels that. Uh, let Drury, let my man Brandon Drury come off the bench. I was just going to say, yeah, he's he. It's hard. So to me, the single hardest thing to do in baseball, the hardest job, is the pinch hitter. You come off ice cold, you know, you, you can get warm-ups, but it's the hardest thing to come into a game and expect to make contact with the ball. And Drury's been great. Yeah. Um, I'll sing his praises as, as much as I can. Um, but it's You it's, did call it, though. You really did. Last pod, you did. You were praising Drury, and he had that big game one hit. It's hard to do. It's hard to come off the bench like that and put together a quality at bat. Nimmo, Nimmo did that when he first came up. Because it's it's an approach thing. Uh, you have to really be patient and look for a pitch to drive, uh, understand the situation. And I think I think Drury has proven himself to be able to do that. So again, Javi, take your time, get well. Let's play some defense and focus on that. And then when when you're ready to go, you're ready to go. Yeah. Wholeheartedly agree. And I, you know, in addition to the pinch hitting being hard, almost all the spots that Jury have come into uh, has been the ninth inning with runners on where we need a hit. And, you know, he's come through more often than not. Those have been basically all of his Mets highlights this year. So big shout out to Brendan Jury. Uh, so I wanted to touch upon uh, the rotation now, speaking of Javier Baez and the Javi Baez trade, because Trevor Williams, he kind of came up big in game three. Uh, you know, we kind of we called upon him. Uh, to make, I, I wouldn't call it a spot start, but definitely a short notice start. 
Uh, he he dazzled in his AAA starts. He came up big uh, in his start yesterday in game two. I definitely feel like he could have gone longer. He just got tagged a little bit in the fifth inning, like many of these Mets starters. But now it, it begs the question about a lot of things because we have we have Stroh, who we just talked about how great he's been with the two and runs or less starts. He's second in MLB, so you're not taking him out. Taiwan Walker really looked like he built some momentum last start. Six innings, three earned runs, all of them just solo shots. That was good. Tyler McGill, it looks like he's really earned his keep. He's one of the guys that's going deepest in games for the Mets right now. It's just his past two starts, he's gotten tagged with some big innings. And then you have Rich Hill, you have Carlos Carrasco, and you have Trevor Williams. These guys have all been around for uh, more, more years than not, especially compared to some of the younger guys. Um, so what do you do with these three guys? How do you fill out the rest of your rotation? Do you combine two of them into one outing so they eat more innings? Do you make one of them a long reliever? Does one of them stay in the bullpen? Because Trevor Williams and Rich Hill, uh, they both have bullpen experience pretty recently. Rich Hill with the Rays, Williams with the Cubs. So I just wanted to gauge you know, how you're feeling about this Mets rotation going forward. Yeah, Trevor did a great job when he first came out. I just wanted to, did you think at all that he looked a little Robert Gazelman-ish. A little bit. Because uh, he, he has the tats, you know what I mean? The like tats, he, the yeah. beard, the long hair. It was very Gazelman 2016, like I'm coming up from AAA and I'm going to start dealing, and I look like this. It's like, all right, I'm cool. I'm, I'm down with it, Trevor. Yeah. Miss G. But I just wanted to touch base on that. But So for me, you know, you, you pointed it out. You have Stroman doing his thing. You have uh, Walker... Um, being Walker, we're gonna need him. So he's our guy. He, I think he's, I think he's gonna be fine. He's building, looking good. Yeah. Uh, and then you have McGill, who has been stellar. I mean, for a young guy like that, he needs to maintain um, a rhythm, a pattern. Uh, he needs to stay in that normal routine of a rotation. Yeah. I think that's key for him, and I think the Mets understand that. They've done a great job with him. Um, and then you, like you said, you have Rich Hill. You have uh, Trevor Williams, and you have um, who, am, who am I missing? Cookie. Oh, Cookie. So what you're going to do there is you're going to give these guys matchups. You're going to say, okay, this is a left-handed solid lineup. Rich Hill, you got it, and then Cookie will come in. Or if you're worried about Cookie, you know, he'll come in and pitch on the sixth day. We'll add an extra day rest. But these things have a way of playing themselves out. You get a double header where you have to stack guys. We get rainouts. You you get an off day so that it can move things around. Baseball's long season will work its way out, but the the fact is Trevor Trevor has options. He's already been optioned down when he first traded for him. So if a guy's got to go, that's easy because you you won't you don't have a chance to lose him. But you'll you'll see is it a, a lefty lineup? Is it a righty lineup? Whatever the case may be, those things iron themselves out. But we have a little bit more depth, and he proved that he's a big league pitcher, and he did a good job. You you mentioned that. Uh, the Nats swung it. What was it? Yeah, in his four and a third innings, they swung it. They definitely had a, a playbook on Trevor Williams, and it was swing at the first pitch seven times in four and a third innings. Only one of those times he got a hit, though. He he did a good job of of playing a little bit of a veteran status and making sure to take advantage of that. You know, one one hit in those seven swings. That's he knows what he's doing. This this coaching staff, this this pitching coaching staff understands that teams have certain approaches, styles, things that they want to do, how they want to attack, and they'll let the pitchers know that. And and being able to take advantage of somebody that's trying to to, to jump on your first pitch is, is smart. It's it shows some savvy and uh he's his flexibility. And so he's not 
He may not be the fifth guy or the fourth guy in this rotation right now, but he understands. And Rich Hill, too. These, they just want to win. Whatever, whatever the case may be, whatever they're asked to do, like Rich Hill wants the ball. He's going to be hard-nosed. He's a competitor. They'll take the ball whenever they can to help this team out in whatever capacity. So if they get moved to the bullpen, you won't see any you know griping, any bitching and complaining. These guys will just do what they think is going to be best for the team. It's definitely a good problem to have. It's never a problem to have too many starting pitchers. It's just the way you got to manage them. And, you know, hopefully you get DeGrom back. And, you know, we've heard that maybe Thor can come back. And if he does, it's going to be as a long reliever. Mm -hmm. If you got two starters that are long relievers in that pen that can eat up two solid innings for you, you're going to take that to the bank. That's definitely a good situation to be in. So the Mets have, it's always been a pitching surplus. And it feels good to be back in that because for a while it was a pitching drought. So it's good to be on the other side. Being able to to push one of those starters into a, a long relief role takes a lot of pressure off the guys at the back end. When you have Drew Smith that needs some some rest, you don't have to pitch him, you know, three out of four days or or Loop who yeah. throws every single game. I'm surprised he didn't pitch in the second game of that doubleheader. I, I yeah, a little bit. Yeah, I, I thought for sure he was going to come in into a situation, but but hats off. Uh, speaking of Drew Smith, really quick, shout out to Drew Smith. Followed the pod on Twitter. Drew Bue 3. We'd love to chat with you sometime. Drew, you're having a great year. We love you. He'll get on. With that flow, he wants to show it off. So we'll, 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 we'll give the people what they want. Get him a nice HD camera. Get it all the complexion. It'll look great. I promise you he's going to wear a hat with it, too. No. You just, he, I, need, I, need, I need it all. He likes it the best when it, he doesn't want to wear it without a hat. He, he's a little bit self-conscious about how it looks without a hat. So I'll pump up his ego a little all bit. Right. You gotta promise me that if we have him on, no pony, no no bun, no ponytail. I want all the flow. Depends on 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 what I'm doing the morning of because oh, okay. if it's trash day, yeah, if it's trash day, I gotta tie this thing up. My my youngest kid likes to grab hold of it, so if I don't That's a tie it back, game. like oh, yeah, they got strong, you know. That hurts. They've got that that super sticky grip right now as as toddlers. I had oatmeal grip in my hair yesterday. Oh. <laughs> It's effective. Like I'll give I'll give your kid props. Like that's a good way to grab him. But he, he needs at that point. It's like, you know, you can have it, kid. But yeah, I'll I'll let it. I'll let my hair down for Drew. <laughs> that's all I ask. So we talked about uh, managing the pitching, and that's a big thing the Mets are going to need to do in this upcoming series with the Dodgers. They're going to host the Dodgers for three games, all at 7 p.m. Eastern. So if you're looking to tune in, you definitely should. It's going to be some good baseball. Uh, the Mets are hosting the Dodgers. They're 69 and 46, still somehow second in the West to the Giants, who the Mets will have next uh, for two series after that. Uh, going in game one, uh, as we mentioned, Tyler McGill. His ERA is up to 3.2 now. Uh, that's still a pretty good mark, all things considered. He's he's had two blow-up innings in his last two starts. Outside of those innings, he's been still the same old Tyler McGill, very effective. Uh, you know, he works a high pitch count, but that's just sort of something we've become accustomed to with him. Uh, but that's gone down in recent outings as well. Uh, he's facing off against Julio Urias. Hopefully I'm saying that. I think it's Urias, Urias. I, I always mess up that name for some reason. Yeah, I think it's Urias. Okay. Well, Urias, uh, he has a 15.75 ERA against the Mets in his career, which I was shocked to find. I was just looking up some splits. Uh, that's four career games. The Mets do have his number a little bit. Obviously, he's probably a different pitcher now. They haven't faced him since 2019. Um, but they do have his number. He does have a 1.59 ERA in his last four starts, so he has been riding a pretty good streak here. So it, it's just a game of which guy we're going to see in this start. This is looking like the game to take for the Mets, though. This is looking like the most feasible one to grab a victory in, especially with their career record against him and how good McGill has been and how hot the bats are right now. 
Uh, McGill, as I mentioned before, eight runs in his last two starts. Both of those came from just two lone innings. Uh, but why don't you tell me about who they got coming up in game two and three? Because those are some beastly matchups. It's my favorite matchup of the whole series. It's Walker Bueller. I mean, that's that's wonderful. You got you got uh, Taiwan Walker coming off of uh, momentum building last two starts. He's been good. He's been super good. I think he's he's about to turn it up another notch and and really be that solid presence in the in the rotation that we need. Walker Bueller's a Cy Young contender right now. He's having, I think, his best year. I'd agree. Twelve and two with a two point one three. Um, we saw what kind of Zach Wheeler did to us when we faced the the elite of the elite. I actually think that Walker Bueller's more hittable than Zach Wheeler is. Interesting. That's a good debate to have. I think honestly. I think I think our style of hitting and our philosophy offensively matches well better against him than it does Zach Wheeler. And again, that's that's my personal thought. I think again, that's why we have success against Urias is because the guy likes to throw fastballs and down, and we like to hit those balls, and so. I think we'll see what, what Bueller's approach is, but I think we got a shot, man. Um, I will say, if he throws a one-hit shutout, I will be clipping this and uh, posting it and laughing a little bit at you. Or, or a no-hitter. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, or what if he gets you know lit up by our offense continues to swing? I'm all for that. And you'll look really good. You'll be two for two with your takes. So, like McGill, it's it's that blow-up inning. So, I think I think um, our coaching staff and, and, and catcher, McCann, can see this outing for McGill coming if he has a little bit of trouble in one inning to go out and talk to him and settle him down and I think Taiwan Walker is going to focus on just keeping the ball in the park today you know keeping runners off base but also keeping the ball in the park so he'll he'll make sure that those 2-0 pitches stay down or he's he's able to to curl it I think it's it's this is what experience does for you you're able to make adjustments on the fly and outside of these home runs he's pitched just like he did in the first half and I, I hope he puts it all together going in. Yeah, it's a big proving start for him, for sure. Move us to game three. You got Cookie Carrasco versus Max Scherzer, the old familiar Max Scherzer, also having a stellar year, another Cy Young caliber year. Started the All-Star game. Started the All-Star game, gets traded, and he's continued his success. He also likes to give up uh, solo home runs, so hopefully we can take advantage of it in game three. Cookie's like, this is his time. This is Carrasco's time to really kind of come into form, to show who he is, because we're going to need somebody to step up in, in that trio to be one of our st- solid guys. And I think Cookie's matches up well with about anybody. He's a pro. He mixes all his pitches for strikes. Um, and this is going to be it. I still think this is the best lineup in the National League. Um, and so let's see what you got. I think his stuff matches up with anybody. We've hit Scherzer before in the past, so um, good luck. You know, this is going to be a tough one. And, you know, I think this is this is going to be a matchup of who are you? Who are we? Can we face off against two Cy Young caliber out of a three-game series and really go for, go for the win? I, I think we can take two of three. I think we can sweep. Who knows? Let's build off the, that momentum. They have... Matchups, I guess, and when it goes head-to-head, which, again, we talked about at last pod about the Mets liking that chip on their shoulder, playing the underdog, yeah. being the unlikely one, and that, that'll push forward. And so when everybody looks to, to stomp on them, that's when the Mets really show who they are. And, and I'm excited for this, this series coming up. It's a good one. 
Yeah, and a lot of the talk has been, you know, can the Mets win these games and get to the playoffs? Well, what about when you get to the playoffs? Can you beat these teams? The Mets have proven they can beat the Brewers, they can beat the Padres, they can beat the Blue Jays. This is their tallest challenge yet. I think definitively this is going to be the toughest team they face all season because it's the Dodgers. You don't mess around with the Dodgers. And like you said, best lineup in the NL, best lineup in MLB. I don't think many people would argue with you on that front, especially with the acquisitions that they made prior at the deadline. But, you know, even if you, like, I know you were you were very encouraging there and, uh, you know, you're feeling good about this team. I, I am too with the momentum they build. I would, if you asked me a week ago, I would take one win in this series now i'm feeling like maybe we have a shot to take it all together and you have four against them next week so not only do you get to play them now and you know gauge what you know what kind of team they are you get to game plan for how you go into la and how you play them there because it's four away games it's four late night games that obviously me and you are probably gonna stay up for i don't know how long you're gonna make it with that sleep schedule though we'll see you know you gotta be quiet with the kids i get that i'll be watching silently in in my room on my phone while my wife sleeps next to me but i'll, I'll be watching the life of luxury. <laughs> you said it though. This is they're they're going to face this team a lot in the future. So they're setting. They're going to try to get into that bullpen early. They're going to try to put together quality abs. They need to be competitive in these first three games. They need to show that they have some fight. That these are going to be battles. You know, they may not win all three of them. They may not win two of them. But they have to show that they're not just going to roll over to a better team. They they have to show that they're on the same playing field. Um, and and prove to them that that not only in this series but going to the Giants and and in LA again that they're going to fight these guys that they're they're they have some fight they are tough they are gritty they are queens you know what I mean this is yeah. this is a a chance to show not only that you deserve to be in the argument and you're going to battle for the NL East moving forward but you deserve to to look out for us chasing that pennant down and representing the National League in the World Series. These are your proving grounds. Uh, it's going to be a dogfight, and uh, let's let's battle. I can't wait to watch it. Yeah, man, it's going to be good baseball. And we mentioned last time, you know, the Mets got a lot of slack, and their playoff odds went really all the way down because of this 14-game stretch, 13-game stretch, whatever it is. I got a chance to look at the schedule after it. And I had mentioned last episode that the schedule after this stretch is not that bad. Well, it's better than I expected because after this, it's Washington, Miami, Washington, Miami uh, for another 13 games. So you get 13 games of the two best teams in the NL, and then you get 13 games of the two worst teams in your division. I think if you squeak by with 500, maybe even a game under, and you just continue to beat up on the bad teams like you proved you did in this past series... The Mets can come out the other side in the middle of September looking pretty good. You know, the Phillies have the Reds coming up this weekend. That's a bit of a challenge because, you know, that that team can hit. The Braves are getting the Nationals coming up. They should be able to win that series. I'm not expecting them to drop any games, honestly. Um, So, you know, this is proving ground, as you said. But if you can make it through the maze, if you can make it through the, the forest here, there is light at the end of the tunnel for sure. I don't know if that's a little too dramatic, but that is, that is how I'm feeling about this upcoming schedule. This is so I wanted to to, to point out one huge thing to, about this coming series with the Dodgers. This is the most pressure is going to be on our starting three, the, the three starters. Yeah, because they need to go a little bit deeper. You give us five competitive baseball. That's great. If you if you you have to log innings because in a game that's tight, we're going to have to throw our top dogs out of the bullpen every single time because we need to lock down games that we are competitive in. And so you're going to get a little bit of leeway with those starters, and you can't dip into our bullpen right away. So we're going to need yeah. some length. We're going to need Ty, uh, Taiwan Walker to be the guy. 
this is going to be the biggest test of Tyler McGill's young career, but we need him. Yeah, it's it's toughest for him because you just burned all these top bullpen guys yesterday in a doubleheader. So Tyler, like, they're really looking for him to go for six and, you know, give him a quality start. And, they, I, I, like, if you don't get that from him, your chances of winning this first game, the most winnable game of the series, in my opinion, goes way down. So this is the biggest start of Tyler McGill's career, bar none. For sure. Be perfect, but you have to limit the damage in those big innings. And this is where you become, this is this is trial by fire here. Yeah. You, he's great. I've been so impressed with the stuff that he's had, with the poise he's had on the mound. But now it's time for McCann, Nito, the other pitchers, the the coaching staff to, to talk to him during his start and be like, look, man, this is a tough inning. You're going to give up one here. Limit the damage. Go back out there. Get these outs. And then go back out for another clean inning. Like, these are the you can't just blow up now because this lineup has no break in it. You could get buried quickly. And so our, our starting pitchers right now really need to step up. And I, I think we've got the guys to do it. And this is gonna prove who who can be a guy behind DeGrom and Stroman. So let's see. I'm excited to see it. I am too. And you mentioned uh Nito and McCann. That segues perfectly into my next thing. I do love a good segue. I, mean, I feel like even if it was accidental, that's a great setup. That's just a good dynamic right there. It was accidental. Uh, on this day in Mets history, brought to you by at NYM History on Twitter. Definitely go check out that page if you haven't already. They're tweeting every day with Mets memories. I love it. Uh, on this day, just last year, Tomas Nito had probably the best game of his career. That rhymed by accident. Somebody, I'm going to clip that later. Just saying, you know, accidental wordsmith there. I like that. Uh, he goes two for four, two bombs, six RBIs against the Nats, who we just played. They won that game 8-2. Obviously, 2020, forgettable season for the Mets. But that was a nice game for Tomas, uh, who was, you know, I feel like he's really coming to his own with the bat this season. Maybe not so much as of late, but he's really starting to look like a more complete MLB player. So that was, I, I do remember that game. I don't remember many games from 2020 because it was kind of just a such a strange year. But that game I do remember for our boy Tomas. Nito coming through with those two big home runs. That's that's a pretty rare feat. So I'm happy for him. So he got a two home run game and he had a stolen base yesterday. Like hell yeah. You as long as you don't have a zero in that column for your whole career, he's good. He's good to go. Just get the one. The funny thing is, he'll probably he'll probably get that confidence of knowing when to snag a bag, and you'll see him do a Yadier Molina or even an Albert Pujols. So when guys stop paying attention, he's going to stretch that out and get a walking lead and and. He's got that confidence going forward. It's one of my favorite things in baseball. You'll see a Trey Turner slide here coming soon from Tomas Nito. Oh, yeah, for sure. That slide looks so clean. You're talking about the fake <laughs> one, right? That was like the cleanest slide I've ever seen. So smooth. Yeah, he, he's a heck of a ball player. Uh, what a get by the Dodgers between Scherzer and Trey Turner. Are you kidding me? Love to hate him, but have to love him, honestly. Like, he's just so I just appreciate the game that he brings. He The style of play that he does. He doesn't do anything too flashy. He just does everything. That's just the kind of ball player he is. He wasn't trying to put on a show. That's just how he plays, which is sick. Like, yeah, I just don't want to get tagged or get run into by the by the catcher. So I'm gonna go over here and just barely touch it. I hope he's out. I hope he goes has a terrible series. There you go. There you go. Yeah, that's what yep. we needed. I was gonna say our positivity has gone all the way to praising our rivals. Uh, so we, well, we I like I like players, that. man. I like guys that can bring it. I like you know I I like Scherzer. I hope he has a terrible game. <laughs> but I like him. Yeah, I appreciate it. There's nobody, there's no bigger competitor on this planet than, than Max Scherzer. And we're going to, you know, we've got him before, so we can get him again. 
Well, speaking of competitors, I wanted to talk about, uh, for another This Day in Mets history, one of my favorite, probably my favorite Met pitcher of all time. It might be an unconventional pick, but my guy, uh, the first signed ball that I ever had, uh, R.A. Dickey, uh, on this day 10 years ago, or I guess 11 years ago, it was 10 years from our last game that we mentioned, uh, he threw the first of four shutouts he'd throw as a Met, and that one came against the Phillies. It was a one-hitter. The only hit came from Cole Hamels, believe it or not. Uh, so the Mets got one run off a of Beltron RBI double. That's all they needed. They won that game one to nothing. This was back before, you know, the back-to-back one-hitters that have become fabled in uh, Dickey's career. But Ari Dickey, you know, was absolutely sensational. It was one of the first videos I made on my uh, little YouTube channel. was just all about his story because he had a, such an incredible story that led him to become the NL Cy Young. Uh, so I remember him very fondly. It was tough seeing him traded, but, you know, that was a good trade for the Mets. But still, I loved Ari Dickey as a Met. Respect it. A complete game shutout, one hitter. It's crazy. And to do it like to do throw knuckleballs, like I, I that's that's almost unfathomable. His story is crazy. Do you ever have a knuckleball? No. I mean I played catch like messing around with it, but I don't have a knuckleball. I do have Joanna Cespedes. So in Oakland, you play catch with the outfielder because we're on the field and I played catch with the outfielder anyway because that's how I like to stay loose. So I'll go out. I did it in New York. But Cespedes has an absolute cannon, right? Of course. But he also throws a nasty knuckleball no at like 88 miles an hour. Oh, my gosh. So many times, like, the last ball in, he'll throw you a knuckleball, and it's coming in hot. And so I'm like, <laughs> you know, I'm a skinny guy, so I'm turning. If you're going to hit me, you're going to hit my, you know, my shoulder. I'm tucking in. I caught it a lot. I saw him hit Grant Balfour, the closer for the A's, when we were there in the chest numerous times and Balfour's a crazy uh Australian just yeah. insane human awesome dude would just wear it and be like yeah mate that's a great knuckleball like he'd get him fired up that's not a bad accent honestly good on you oh thanks thanks that's a, we'll give it in small pieces that way you don't expose my exactly I won't, no full sentences that was my knuckleball story 86 I bet if if Cespedes wanted he could probably pitch at that level throwing downhills a little bit different but do you remember uh Josh Tolley's gigantic catcher's glove that he used to catch R.A. Dickey it looks so ridiculous that's like one memory that always sticks out in my head (laughs) yeah it looks like a first baseman mitt combo like that thing was huge some of some pitchers like some pitching coaches like to have one of those as like an alternative if they have to catch a flat ground right. um, because catchers mitts you have to it takes like six years to break it in because we catch so infrequently but uh it's always cracks me up to see the knuckleball mitt because it just looks like and that was cool because you know totally had to learn how to do that and actually i feel like that kind of elongated his career a little bit because he went in the dickie deal to toronto and you know that was like his personal catcher so i always thought i was not good for josh Tully. that was a hard thing to learn how to do and he did it pretty damn well so Former Mets standout. There you go. Josh Tolley. Uh, I also wanted to do, of course, the best segment of the pod. Jog and Jerry's memory. Of course. Oh, that's what, uh, let's do it. I I'm, like I, it. I think I'm sticking with that. I think I'm sticking with that. I'm I like it. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm into it. Uh, so on this day, we're going to go only back to 2019. So this is Atlanta Braves Jerry. Uh, in primal form there. You remember that one. Oh, yeah, I do. Now I'm, I'm getting the years a little bit better now, so I can kind of just rattle them off, you know? Um, we did mention all, we, we, we mentioned your Nationals days in the last episode. Uh, in this outing, you got only one out, just one, and it came against the New York Mets. How could you? How could you, Jer? You got a ground ball out off Michael Conforto. It brought in a run. Braves won that game 5-3. to three. I wanted to highlight this because the next day, I'm kind of cheating here a little bit, but it didn't line up perfectly. The next day, you got your first save of that season, and you also only got one out, and I wanted to do a little trivia here. Do you remember, or can you guess, 
who you got out in that game. They brought you in to face one batter. You got to save. I remember both of them vividly. That's my, my my close friend, Michael Conforto. Nice. Yeah, you got Conforto out again for the save. I did. He the he he grounded that ball out. I threw a fastball. I tried to sneak a, a ball in, way in, and he was very strong human, and he got it down, and then we were he was able to score an RBI. So it was like 0 for 0. But I was like, damn it, I should have just went to the curveball. So that's exactly what I did the next day in that save situation was I went to the curveball and I threw him, I think it was only three. Yeah. But I threw him all curveballs and and it was a good one that day and he swung and missed. We were fighting for wins that year, Jared. Come on. You know, they should have signed me. Yeah, they should have signed you. Honestly, we could have used a lefty that year. It's okay. I'm retired. I think he's still playing. He'll be okay. He's not. He's not too mad at me because my my oldest son is going to be uh, one of the ring bearers in his wedding. So he's not that mad at me. No way. Very nice. That's exciting for me. That's not something I thought I'd hear this episode. So I'm very happy to hear that. Is he excited? Are him and Michael like boys? Are they are they buddies? He's uh my I'm you know Michael and I are our friends and and his fiance and my wife are very close. So very nice. Very wholesome like to hear that. But uh, ladies and gentlemen, that is going to do it for this installment of Shea Station, our second episode. We, I just wanted to extend a big thank you to everyone that's been supporting us very early on. Our Twitter page is already at above 2,000 followers in like two days, which I cannot believe. And I will say, uh, if you don't follow the Twitter, you might not know this. The Mets are 3-0 in the Shea Station era. And I feel like we have something to do with it. Come on. I mean, I, I wouldn't take full credit, but we're definitely factoring in i'll just put it that way shea station three and O mets this is a true test for us as a as a group too this series against the dodgers how 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 are we going to take credit for how good the team is on the field is very important right like losses aren't on us but victories i feel like we get like a one percent nod come on like a little exactly. Yeah, we're, exactly we're pushing positivity to the field and ignoring all the negatives. Absolutely. So yeah, if you've uh, been checking out our socials, we really appreciate it. Uh, We're on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. You can find us pretty much anywhere. Uh, If you're listening on Apple Podcasts and you enjoyed today's episode, maybe thinking about uh, leaving a a rating for us, we'd really appreciate the feedback. Uh, And as always, uh, make sure you tune into the Mets this week. They're playing three huge games. Me and Jer will be watching for sure, and we'll be continuing the conversation on our socials. So make sure you don't miss a thing. Follow us there. But uh, for John Boy Media... I'm Jack. I'm Jerry. Thanks for tuning in, guys. We'll be signing off. Thank you very much for listening in to the second episode, guys. Mm-hmm.